Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Happy New Year! Happy New Year. We hope you guys had just a great New Year and holiday season. And I know that some schools still have like either a couple days or a week left before winter break is over. So hopefully you're kind of still relaxing, but like, you know, come next week, we're going to be really diving into like the second half of the school year and prepping for the end of the school year, which is, it's wild that it's January and that's what we're talking about, but that's the reality, right? Absolutely. And I am really excited for today's guest, Dan Jordan. Thank you so much for coming because we really want to jumpstart you guys that are there, people there thinking about, okay, my kid is a junior, my kid is a senior, or maybe my kid is going to junior high. I'm thinking, you know, diploma way ahead. Dan, you are just the guy that knows about this college transition and accommodation specifically for students with IEPs and 504 plans. So we are delighted to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Happy New Year to everybody. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So Dan, can you just kind of the tone and give a little bit of your background and how you really kind of found this niche area of, of helping kiddos transition? Yeah, niche area kind of happened by default. I got my dream job was always to work as a therapist on a college campus. I got that job, but the dual role that I played because the campus was small enough that I played a dual role. The other role was making sure that any student that applied for accommodations and had a disability, Mm -hmm. I was the one that provided all that information, all that process, all those interviews. I was the one to make sure that they got what they needed. So that was for... 10 and a half years. So, and stopped right before COVID. Thank God. But I'm still on a college campus. I'm still in a college counseling center. So that job just took on a little more responsibility. So that's the background. Almost as soon as I got the job on a college campus, my son was diagnosed with dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia. That was also kind of a dual thing. So I was learning IDA at the same time I'm learning ADA 504. Oh, wow. You really got a crash course into everything. Yeah. Learning curve was a hockey stick. Yeah. Yeah. Had to learn a lot of acronyms really fast. (laughs) Very, very much so. Yes. So like you have the perspective of kind of from both sides of the table, from the family and the school perspective. And, you know, we've talked with our listeners a bit about some of the things they can do to prep when their child is like, say, in their junior, senior year from, okay, we need updated assessments. So even if your IEP team says, oh, well, they're a senior, we don't need to do assessments. We already know like their plan is working. Da, 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 da. And we say, well, no, because the college needs updated. And we've talked a lot little bit about kind of that process. But what, you know, we're so happy to have you on today is to talk in a little bit more detail about that process of the prep. But then also what happens next? You know, we tell students, okay, you have to then go to the, you know, there's a specific department at Mm -hmm. the college that handles accommodations (laughs) and supports. But like, exactly what that looks like can be different from each college. But I think it would be great for our listeners to kind of hear. So I guess we can start by talking a little bit about some of the things that parents 
should start looking for or what they can do to prep and like how early should they be prepping? Wow. How early should you prep? (laughs) Probably if you're thinking that your kid's going to go to college, that prep time starts as soon as you get the first IEP. That's just my kind of take on it. And the reason why I say that is because self-advocacy starts right then. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's reasons to delay sort of self-advocacy for a lot of different reasons. But I see what I did see is students that have IEPs were not prepared to talk about their disability at all. In fact, it's saying the word disability, that's me in college. That's what we talk about. That's the term that we use. So I guess mm-hmm. parents need to be prepared to hear that over and over and over and over again, because that's a term that we use. We don't use learning difference. We don't use anything else. We use disability because that's what we're doing in that office, yeah. the disability office. That's what we're doing. We're making sure that you have a disability and the functional limitations and what accommodations would help you out. That's what we're doing. So as soon as that kind of IEP gets started, the self-advocacy piece is supposed to happen. And for students with IEPs, it doesn't happen. It doesn't. Students have a hard time talking about their disability in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I would ask a question and I would get a blank stare. It's like, so what brings you in today? And I'm like, well, my mom told me I needed to be here. Right. I'm like, okay, I get it. I understand. But the preparation starts with the self-awareness about what's going on with them and what they need and why they need it. And then being able to explain that with some decent examples, that prep work, <laughs> that prep work should start very early. Unfortunately, it doesn't start very early. But as a teenager, they can get that information pretty quickly. There's a lot of resilience that happens. And it's one thing to have them know the process by which to apply and be eligible for accommodations in college. That's one thing. To know why you need them is an entirely separate thing. So if parents are going to start preparing, start preparing there. Because a confident student who can say, hey, I have X, Y, and Z, and here's why I need it. And here's the things that worked. And here's some things that they tried that kind of didn't really work. And here's what I used. Here's what I didn't use. And here's why that happened. That's a student that I saw maybe four times over 10 years. Wow. 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 And that's, it's such a good point because so often like we see in transition plans, a goal will be, okay, the students, and it might be labeled as self-advocacy in high school, but it's, oh, they'll be able to ask for an accommodation. But that other piece of being able to truly understand why they need it, what their disability is. I mean, yeah, I don't see that. That And that's such a good point because it's not just a matter of here's my paperwork, deal with it for me. Because correct. it's also not just about college, right? It's also about career readiness too. That's correct. No matter what the job is, most jobs aren't going to have a department and someone like you that like, right. let's say they don't learn these skills. You probably, there's a lot that you can do to help, but like jobs aren't going to have that. So yeah, mm-hmm. such a big tool that, I mean, I think is going to help them even in high school too, because I just had a, a conversation with a client where we're dealing with kind of this issue with teachers expecting a student to have to do everything on their own and ask for mm-hmm. everything right. when this student doesn't have the skill to really compartmentalize what he needs and how to ask for it and why he even needs it. And so like, that's a skill that ultimately, yes, he needs that for college, but he also needs it now. 
And we don't even see that being something that is being supportive. So that's, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we have talked about on this podcast and have told our clients is maybe in elementary school, you're the parent writing this letter to the teacher, kind of explaining the IEP, right? Like explaining in the eyes of the child, right? Hey, this is why he needs his water bottle on his tail. This is why he needs, you know. And then as we get to junior high and high school, those clients that had that letter, it's prep. We say, okay, well, now your kiddo needs to be involved in trying to articulate that letter and presenting it to the teachers. And then, you know, so that by the time they get to college, they do feel comfortable enough to say, oh, you know, this is why I need this. And this is why I need that. Now, it's hard to let go for a lot of parents. And so they they get that kind of thrown into the deep end sense. But for you to say, yeah, in those 10 years, you maybe only saw four of those. And, you know, obviously, you're seeing the gamut of disabilities and the wide range of, of kiddos that need things. What is something else that you think that would be helpful for parents just to know, maybe just from your personal experience or from the side of, of being, you know, that ADA person that is helping these kiddos once they get to you. Yeah, there's a couple of things. And so know that the more you prepare your child to have that conversation, the mm-hmm. better off you're going to feel. It's tough anyway. Like, yeah. I remember the moment that I was not the accessibility staff person, but I was the parent dropping my kids off at school, woefully unprepared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how many college transitions did I see? Oh, like so many. Right. I'm the goofy parent who has no idea what they're doing. I'm so highly anxious. I'm like, I have everything prepared in the car for my wife, but I wasn't prepared for me. Mm. But it's like, you got to get prepared for that advocacy piece. But I knew because my son was being dropped off and because of what it was what my position was, we had always told him what his diagnosis was. We had always prepared him for that. We had always asked him what worked, what didn't, how that was. I kind of did a little mock interview with him beforehand just to kind of prepare him. But I knew mostly that when we had prepared him, he's a better self-advocate than I am. And so I knew because I prepared him, I felt a lot better about him asking for what he needs. And that's one of the great benefits that I think parents miss, the more kids are prepared to talk about what they need with their own disability, the more they're prepared to ask for anything else. Mm. So if they need counseling, they go to the counseling mm-hmm. services center. If Because they're, they're not, it's not something odd. It's just something like, hey, this is what I have. And this, right. I need extra help in math. So I go to the tutoring center. Or I need writing support or whatever. They're not afraid to talk to their professors. It's just when that self-advocacy piece kind of happens and that knowledge piece happens, the more you prepare them, the more they're able to ask for what they need. And you're right. It, like, Amanda, it, it's not just college. This is for on the job too, because- Students who even go to college, then they get employed, they may need accommodations there too. So yeah. the better they're prepared all the way around for all of that. Um, and I think having that background and helping my my son was because I saw all the deficits and yeah. I'm like, wow, how many parents are not prepared? Like they're the ones who are like, hey, you go talk to this person because I told you to. Um, <laughs> and that's when I get those kids that are right. like, my mom told me I needed to be here. Right. Like, well, why do you want to be here? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, how and is I that think, for you? Uh, yeah, so and I, I think not throwing too- them into an interview where they've never kind of done that and they, they don't have the informational background for it. But if you prepare them, 
and you prepare them ahead of time, you know, as a parent that you've done what you needed to do for that. The fear and the anxiety is kind of like, okay, are they able to execute? And it's kind of like a normal, it takes probably about 70% of the anxiety and, and angst away from that moment because you know you've done what you needed to do. And that's just sort of preparing them with the basic information. The other information is to know that ADA and 504 are strictly for college. IDEA does not apply at all. It ends at graduation. So does 504. I used to hear this all the time. Students would come in and say, my special education coordinator told me that I needed to transfer my 504 plan. And I'm like, no, sorry, that doesn't right. happen, but you're in the right spot. Don't worry right. about it. Right. Um, right. You got to the right spot. So they need to know that those are two different subsections. So 504 expires as well as the IDA, ADA and 504 for college, that subsection takes over and it's not a linear process. Mm. There's, it's almost like an application process. Yeah. So you it's have not, to be not deemed, that. no, right. You're exactly correct. You have to be deemed eligible for the accommodations. And that's why the interview and the information is so important because they're the ones that have to supply it. They're the ones that have to describe what's going on. And that leads into the accessibility staff being able to do what they need to do, which is find out that you have functional limitations. What are they? Where are they? How severe are they? And you have a disability. Great. Okay. Now what accommodations work? And that whole thing involves the student themselves. They're the ones that take over this advocacy piece. So that's why the prep work ahead of time is so important. So parents have also a plan to step out of the advocacy role, right. knowing that I've prepared my child as much as possible. Because I know K through 12 didn't do it for him. For my right. son, they didn't right. do it. I'm sitting I, in the last IEP. I'm sitting there junior year and the person knew who I was. They knew what job yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. And they're going, you know, you have to just speak up and ask for your accommodations yourself. And I'm like, that's your transition plan? I'm like, yeah. come on. That's not yeah. appropriate. And that's a little bit, it's not even nowhere near where it needs to be. Yeah. Speaking yeah. up. And I've talked about this on social media recently because it's just a, a spot of angst for me. I don't get on many soapboxes, but this one really gets underneath <laughs> my skin. And it's, you got to make sure that they're prepared. And if, how are they supposed to self-advocate about something that they don't know anything about? Right. And that's not appropriate to say, you just need to speak up, speak up about what exactly? Right. Like that's like a kid's put in a position where they're like, what am I speaking up about? And then they Mm -hmm. get to college and they have the same reaction. They're like, ah, my mom said I'm supposed to be here. Or the parent comes with them and I'm asking the child this information. The parent can roll this stuff off like there's no tomorrow. Right. Okay. Transfer this over to the kid. The kid's got to know this. The kid has to know about themselves because it's not just them anymore. It's not just about the parent knowing the information. There's a transfer of information and transfer of responsibility that does happen once they get to college. And they're the ones who have to implement the accommodations. They're not responsible for coordinating them, you know what I mean? But they have to ask for them. And then they have to ask for them, like if they get test accommodations, they're the ones that have to ask for them for every single test. Well, and not even just asking for them, but they need to have that buy-in, that willingness to use them. Because far too often we have a lot of these kids who, you know, either have the stigma or they don't want to be seen as different. They don't want to be seen as needing something different. And so a lot of times they're not as willing to ask for it. They feel bad. And that also goes to the social piece too, of if they don't truly understand why they need something or how best they learn 
or what their disability is, if they're not accepting it within themselves, it's going to be really hard and impossible for them to ever be willing to talk to their peers about it. And that's something that we see so often as a problem of this stigma around disability K through, you know, all all our systems, right? The feeling of not belonging and the lack Mm -hmm. of inclusivity, a lot of it can be helped by peer interaction and peer acceptance, peer understanding. But like, we never can get there if the child doesn't even have that feeling of acceptance within themselves. So I think I think right. this what the, what you're talking about of, of getting and preparing the students to understand and really understand themselves and understand their learning process, I think it goes so much deeper than just asking for accommodation. And it really is truly not only prepping themselves for the world outside of high school and K through 12, but it's also helping prepare other kids to be a part of this inclusive society. Correct. Correct. And if, how can you include yourself into something that you've kind of are having trouble including yourself in? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, and I think it's a hard so, thing to ask. And then you oh, want yeah. to throw them into a situation where they're unprepared here, ask for this. And they're like, uh, I'm not even sure that I even want it. Well, it's interesting because basically when they walk into your office, it's not like, okay, come back and have an interview. Like, it's like, this is happening right now. Right. Right. So they're expecting, oh, here, here's my paperwork. Can you transfer it? And it being that. And so this is so useful is that, no, basically when they're walking in and they've made an appointment, like this is the interview, like it is the start of the process and it begins immediately. And I think practically for some of our listeners, you know, your child best. And so how we tend to present the information of an IEP and, and the involvement of the child is there's a couple different ways. And, and we've talked about this, but one of the ways is maybe the child is having an issue in one of their classes with their accommodations and they would like to speak to the team. I always like having the team hear the child out within the first 10, 15 minutes of the IEP. And yep. then the child can be excused, go back to class. They can stay, whatever. But that's one way that we can kind of start to get them to kind of be able to self-advocate. Another way is, well, maybe the child will come at the end of the IEP meeting, the last 20 minutes, the last 10 minutes. And then we're explaining the new services, we're going over the accommodations, we're asking their input, you know, and we're really just kind of summarizing everything and then seeing, okay, like, do you have any questions? Is there anything on your mind? So that, you know, if they're just going to be there for two hours, just sitting there missing out on English language arts, I'd rather them in English language arts, but this is a way to kind of start that process. And again, you know, your child best, but you know, if you're starting at freshman year or junior year, like this is that transfer power, if you will, an easy way to kind of dip their toe in that in that pond so that they at least have a general understanding of that when they first walk into your door, getting an interview and like we're starting right. this. Yeah. Some of the most important information you an accessibility staff person can get. There's yeah. only so much you can glean from an assessment or an IEP, mostly the assessment and we mm-hmm. don't have to walk down that road, but mm-hmm. that's problematic for some. But doing that work ahead of time to know what paperwork is available and what the, the college is going to require of you, that's really important mm-hmm. too. But knowing that you can only glean so much from the data. Yeah, The rubber meets the road is where the student is describing exactly what's going on with them and how it's affecting them, where, to what extent, 
Is it homework? Is it just in class? Is it all the above? Is it just for tests? And some students don't need as much as others. You've seen one student ADD, you've seen one student with ADD. So Mm -hmm. that kind of thing can happen. And so how they describe it can be rather similar, but what they need can be very different. And right. so the student themselves gets very individually specific. That's why I kind of like, kind of like harp on that. I don't mean to, yeah. um, but it's yeah, so yeah. important that, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, I like the fact that parents have given their kid the reins and said, here, go. And they get in here and like, my mom told me to be here, but like, you would never throw them the keys to the car at 16 without car lessons. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Here, go pick up something at the grocery store without yeah. lessons and without knowing about anything. Totally. Like, come totally. on, you'd never do that. Yeah. So With this, it's kind of the same thing. And it's kind of like that advocacy piece can come in a whole bunch of different ways, actually. Like junior year, if they are on a medicine for some kind of mental health issue or ADD or something like that, have them make the actual appointment with their psychiatrist. Have them call if they need to reschedule or if they need to something else. It's like, I do, we do, you do. Because Mm -hmm. in college, it's not going to be we do. Mm -hmm. It's going to be you do. And so all the things you're talking about with IEP meetings and the participation, there's only one participant in college and that's you. Yeah. That's it. That's your kid. And are they capable of navigating all of that responsibility as well as on top of the normal college transition in and of itself, which is really difficult for most students anyway. That's a transition on top of transition. And so now you have added responsibilities that are there, that should be there, that let's just say it out loud. Most students with IEPs do not ask for accommodations once they get there. I mean, I think the statistic out of, I think it's the National Center for Learning Disabilities or the National Center for Educational Statistics, one or the other has this statistic. 70% of students with learning disabilities don't think they have a disability once they graduate from high school. Mm. That's a horrible statistic. Yeah, right. That statistic hasn't gotten any better. I think that was from 2015. Don't ask me on the year, but it's been a while. But I don't think that's gotten any better, really. Uh, Yeah, I don't believe it probably has. No, but it'd be great if that statistic was zero. Right, yeah. Just tell them what their disability is called. Like, actually call it a disability at some point. Like, at some point. Like, we're not talking like grades. Like, don't do that. Right, that's not right, developmentally right. appropriate. I mean, self-esteem right. is really important back there. But if you do something that's, you tell them, like middle school, I think a seventh and eighth grader could hear that word and be like, okay, how does that relate to the rest of stuff? Yeah. 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 Well, in high school, here's what you're going to do. You're going to participate in your IEP and you got to know what that's for. You know, yeah. surprising a student at 13 or 14 when they're eligible to do that just seems neglectful. On some parts and like, surprise, we've been meeting about you for years, you know, like (laughs) that just doesn't sound okay. And they need to have that information so they can say, hey, this is about you. This is not about anything else. It's about us trying to help you, not the other way around. And so you need to have that kind of transfer of some of that information over time. So gradually. So let them know what their diagnosis is, you know, in grade school. Developmentally appropriate, by the way. Absolutely. There are reasons to delay. And one is they just are not mature enough to really kind of hear the information or there's a mental health issue or some tragedy has happened. Delay it. You know what I mean? You got a little bit of time. But getting out of middle school without hearing the name of it or names. Yeah. No, I don't agree with that. It's a disservice. Yeah. I think it's a disservice. Yeah. You know, what would be wonderful is if our listeners had any like specific questions, we would love to have you back on and like run through them. Right. Because as a parent, that's like, yeah. Right. Because I, this went 
too quickly and and let's I'll, I'll give Dan the chance to to give contact information but I just I'm, I'm throwing this out there for him because it's super useful and and will really selfishly help Amanda and I at the in the next couple of months when we start having these meetings we would love to have you back on and kind of run through the list of like questions that parents practically have right in terms sure. of like what does this because you've really broken down that beginning process and we'd love to have you back on to kind of to kind of expand a little bit more and from your personal experience and from yeah, your sure. professional experience but if parents had questions for you obviously send us the questions so that we can have them back on guys. But um, if they had yeah, a sure. specific question for you, how could they contact you? Could Can they contact you for more information? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. If you can find me on Facebook, Accessing College, it's the same thing, mm-hmm. Accessing underscore college, Instagram, just send me a DM, send me a message. Perfectly happy. My webpage, I think is a contact form on there at the bottom. Feel free. Feel free to ask me whatever it is that you need to ask. Um, feel free to find me. I'm out there and more than happy to help out. And Amanda, I'm sorry I didn't get to the point of like what happens <laughs> after. I'm yeah, really yeah. sorry. That, oh, no, I was like, a- man, it's been on my mind. And I'm like, dang, man, that just went off in a different direction. <laughs> That's all right. You know and- what? We'll have you on again to kind of walk through that actual process. I think yeah. this was so helpful for families at this point who are like, hopefully, you know, I mean, I think it's important to get to the next stage too, but to start thinking about the conversations they can be having. This is such an important piece that I think it was good to dive into it. Well, thank you, Dan, so much for coming on. We'll definitely have you back for part two. Listeners, just uh, direct message us those questions because if you don't, we'll have a set of our own for Dan. And we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.